My name is Lucy Lawrence and I'm the scientific content producer here at Technology Networks. This episode is part of a wider podcast series focused on pursuing change in STEM and I'm excited to be part of it as it's a little bit different to the usual podcast that you'd find here. Creating space for women to thrive in their career paths in in the STEM industry and beyond is critical to unlocking groundbreaking innovation and delivering the advances that society needs. Yet, in many situations, women and academics from underrepresented groups just don't have that safe space to be heard and to make a difference. It's undeniable that there's a new generation of young up-and-coming scientists who are pushing the boundaries to what's possible across the globe. This is something that's been noticed by SciEx. In addition to being a global leader in the field of mass spectrometry, SciEx is helping to change the culture in science to one that harnesses the power of diversity, equity and inclusion and ultimately encourages the progress of society at large. In order to do this, they've created an initiative called Extraordinary Grace, which tells the story of an ordinary girl who has the potential to be extraordinary. Grace asked more than 1,300 members of the scientific community to mentor her, offering support and guidance inside and outside of science. As a result, new opinions as well as long-suppressed challenges were uncovered as scientists from across the globe opened up to Grace with their raw and honest experiences. From these findings, the change hypothesis was developed to address how best to pursue diverse perspectives in STEM and how to enable change that promotes scientific progress. Grace recently presented an incredible keynote talk which explores all of her findings and we've left the link to this in the description and we really recommend that you go and check this out. In this episode, we're joined by Dr. Janita Pritchett, the Senior Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Strategist with the Federal Government. In addition to mentoring Grace, Janita is a champion for promoting diversity, equity and inclusion in STEM fields. She's regarded as a thought-provoking leader with a demonstrated history of leading meaningful change strategies and delivering impactful results. Gianita will be sharing her thoughts on Grace's talk alongside her experiences becoming a speaker, trainer and coach focused on personal and professional development. She'll be touching on the ways that she's advocated for diversity, equity and inclusion in STEM and will also tell us how she identified people in her life who supported her journey and how you can do the same. As I already mentioned, I'd highly recommend listening to Grace's keynote talk using the description below, as this forms the foundation of my discussion with Gianita. But without further ado, you're about to listen to my interview with Gianita in full. Hi Gianita, how are you? I am doing awesome, Lucy. How are you doing today? Brilliant. I'm really well, thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us here on this podcast. I've been really excited to speak with you. Um, And in this podcast, uh, we're actually looking to answer the question of how to cultivate an inclusive and equitable science industry. So firstly, could you tell us a bit about your background and who it was or what it was that really influenced you to become a scientist? Absolutely. Well, first, just again, thank you for having me here. I'm really excited to be here and just an opportunity to share my story. Um, so I'm actually a second generation scientist. Both of my parents were scientists. They actually met at Alabama A&M and they met in a physics class. Um, when I was growing up, 
they uh, constantly had myself, my brother, and my sister involved in something science related, whether it was computer science uh, camp or going to get our first microscopes or going to the museum, they had us engulfed in science. So the idea of science was something that was always near and dear to me. But I also want to credit my high school chemistry teacher for actually really pushing me into going into becoming a chemist. Um, when I was in high school, I was in that age range where I was like, uh, I don't want to be the smart person. I don't want to be the, you know, the, the, the person that's known for being the nerd. So I was kind of just rebelling a bit. And I will never forget at the end of our first semester, he pulled me to the side and showed me a, a series of grades and was like, hey, these are all the A's, these are the B's. This last A is you. Now, you didn't earn the A, but I know you could have. And something like snapped at me immediately. And I was like, huh. I don't, I don't know what he saw, but I want, I want to earn the, earn the A too. And so I decided, you know, I was going to do the work and I wanted to be able to earn the A and be respected in this, in this classroom. Fast forward, I got straight A's the rest of the semester and ended up actually being a TA for him in high school. And that really kickstarted my journey into becoming a scientist and then ultimately also an educator as well. Oh, I absolutely love that. Um, so I guess a potentially a silly question leading on from that, but what kind of impact did role models like your teacher and your family play on your STEM journey? Um, I mean, uh, a, a phenomenal impact. Um, again, so my teacher was a white male. Um, so just hearing that, you know, vote of confidence coming from someone that didn't look like me. Of course, my parents are always going to say I'm the greatest. I can do anything and everything. But hearing somebody from a different perspective, different background, also instilling that kind of that kind of confidence in me really did just reshape my, my way of thinking and reshape my outlook on what it meant to be a scientist, not be a scientist. Um, so role models have been instrumental from the time I was born up until even more recent years when I've been navigating my career. Um, some of the best advice I got as a working professional was from one of my mentors who told me, look, if you wanna get ahead in your career, you gotta make sure you do three things. One, meeting people, let them know who you are. So articulate who you are, the things that you can do, and so forth. Then let them know what is it that you can do. So what do you do for the organization? Where do you, what do you see yourself doing for the organization? And then finally, where do you see yourself going? So articulating, yeah, I may be in this particular position, but this is where I ultimately see myself. All of that information has literally opened up so many doors and opportunities for me. Um, so I probably would not be where I am if it not if it was not for educators and mentors and role models. I love that and kind of saying right from the get-go this is who I am this is where I want to be was that difficult was that a difficult conversation for you to have with people or has it become a bit more natural the the more you've kind of taken that advice on board? Well I would say initially it was a little difficult because it's one of those things like you don't want to seem like you're bragging you don't want to seem like you're just like hey in your face but it comes to practice, you know, figuring out like, what's that elevator pitch? If I have only 30 seconds with somebody, what are the things that I can say to make them remember me? And so, yeah, initially it was difficult, but I kind of found my rhythm after, you know, trying, maybe failing a few times, but learning from you know, what worked and didn't work. So yeah, um, it really did help me find my voice. I love that. And touching on um, like your teacher, for instance, because it's easy to feel really discouraged if you don't have kind of like the support from your community. And it's hard to have that community if your classes are all kind of made up of people that are very different from you. Did you find it easy to identify the people in your life that were going to support you in your personal journey outside of your family? 
So I would say yes and no. Um, so in a lot of situations, I did have people question like, well, you don't look like a scientist or why would you want to go down this field? This isn't something that, you know, you should be doing. You should be doing this. So a lot of people kind of had preconceived notions of what my life should be doing or what I should be following just based on who I was or who my family was and so forth. Um, but I will say when I went off to school, so I went to Tennessee State University, which is an HBCU, a historically black college university. And in those moments, I connected with so many individuals from across the country that were like-minded, that wanted to go and find, a, you know, pursue a career in STEM. And so it was within my school that I was able to build a community, build a network of people of support that really helped um, get me to where I am. And even to this day, I'm still great friends with so many of my classmates. We check in on each other and it's just been phenomenal seeing where not only where I've gone, but where every single one of them has been able to go. Mm -hmm. Are they all kind of scientists too, or is, have they kind of branched out into other opportunities? It's a, it's a mix. So like a lot of the people that I was in school, I have some that are high school or middle school teachers. I have some that are pharmacists, doctors, research scientists, some that are in policy now, some that are entrepreneurs. But I like to say we're all still very much science adjacent. So we may not be doing the science but we're either inspiring the next generation to get into science or helping in different aspects of the STEM fields. I absolutely love that. Um, so last year, obviously, Grace called upon the scientific community for mentorship with the question of, can I be a scientist? And can I still be me at the same time? Um, and as we know, scientists all over the world responded, um, mentoring Grace through different challenges that she was facing as a young girl with a passion for science, which I feel like you and I can both relate to. <laughs> um, so now one of the things she said was emotionally, most people's immediate response was to be like, yeah, of course you can be a scientist and you can be true to yourself. Um, but those same people were quite split because when they were asked if diversity and inclusion is taken seriously in science, I, I learned that Grace actually found that two thirds of men feel that diversity and inclusion is taken seriously. And worryingly only, I think it was about half of the women felt the same way. And to me, that's crazy. But are you surprised to hear that less women feel that diversity and inclusion is taken seriously in science? I, I wish I could say I was surprised. But unfortunately, I wasn't. Um, and that's just through my own lived experience, through the experiences I know of my peers. Um, while we know that there's a big push to put diversity, equity, and inclusion at the forefront, we also know there's still a lot of things that need to be repaired. Um, there are pay gaps whenever you look at women and, and males. And then if we look at intersectionality and throwing in things like gender, sexual orientation, how much that is exacerbated. Um, from the pay when we look at promotion new opportunities those barriers still exist for people from underserved communities so you know when i looked at you know looked at the data or heard the data my thought was that a lot of people that think that he and i or the e and i is at the forefront are people that have not necessarily been subject to barriers that have prevented them from getting ahead so in their mind it's it's, it's working well um, for a lot of women a lot of people of color people from underrepresented communities, people with different abilities. That's just not simply the, the, the same story that people face. Um, so there are a lot of great initiatives that are being done, but there's still a ton of work that needs to do to really level that playing field. Why do you think it is that, you know, women are not taken seriously in, you know, diversity and inclusion in science? Because I was thinking the other day, is it because that's what we see in the media? Is that because it's a historical thing? But I was just wondering what your take on it is. 
I think it's a mixed bag of things, right? So I think one is just the portrayal model that we have of what a scientist looks like, right? If you Google what a scientist looks like, nine times out of 10, the picture is not gonna be anybody that looks like me, right? Um, then when you think about the occupations that are available for people as male, woman, or person of color, oftentimes when you look at the leadership chart, the higher and higher you go, the less and less diverse it is. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's a huge phenomena across pretty much all organizations, academia, government, wherever you you know you'll see that same pattern. Um, and then there's also kind of this this notion that because women may be um, child bearers or they may be you know primary caregivers to their their family members, they may not be considered for certain opportunities because there's an assumption about their availability. So I think there's just there's a lot of pieces that go into how we got here. And then let's also throw in, you know, I'm in the States, the DE and I has become politicized, unfortunately. So for a lot of people, whenever you hear those, those three letters are now DEIA, it's political. And so if you, um, if you resonate with a particular party, you may then feel you have to completely distance yourself from these, these areas. So I think it's, like I said, it's a, it's a, uh, a mixture of things that are really contributing to why we're not seeing it being taken seriously and why it's impacting different groups in different ways. Mm, it's pretty complex, isn't it? There's just so many different factors from even the historical point of view that that's even Google, actually, your first thing is what does a scientist look like? You type it into Google and it's everyone's probably going to look the same. So it's it's an it's an odd concept, to be honest. But going back to the question that Grace asked, can I be a scientist and still be me? What was your immediate reaction to that question? What would you kind of say? Well, so my immediate reaction was I've had that same thought. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, I've had that same thought. You know, um, I'll never forget when I went to, um, went to school, I off to graduate school, I had two incidents that really made me question if I belonged within this field. Uh, one was a situation where I was told I wouldn't be able to wear, I normally wear my hair out in like a curly fro. Uh, I wouldn't be able to wear my hair the way that I typically would wear it in this person's lab. And I was like, but why? <laughs> like this doesn't, doesn't have my ability. Yeah, but that was just their desire of what they want their group to look like. And I was like, well, then that's not the group for me. Um, and then I also had a situation where I was told by a professor that I was gonna fail their class simply because I went to an HBCU. So when you hear things like that, of course, I, I had to question myself, like, wait a minute, do I not do I not know what I'm doing? Um, and then fast forward, I ended up getting the highest grade in the class. So um, so there was moments, you know, even still, there's moments I'm, I'm in, a, in a, a room and people don't necessarily assume I'm the scientist. They may assume that I'm someone that's, you know, to be supporting them in some function, but not necessarily that I'm to be contributing my voice to the conversation. So yeah, when I heard the question, this is why I resonated with Extraordinary Grace so much, I had that question. Um, and, and because of the experiences that I've had, you know, my initial challenge or charge to Grace was like, absolutely, you can. And the best way to do that is by finding a system or a group of people that are going to support you and let you know that you, you can be your authentic self. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that is a reality that a lot of people do face um, that question, can I be a scientist and still be me? Mm -hmm. And it, it's so upsetting to hear that actually you're still kind of asking yourself that question today and wondering whether you fit in. But I wonder how many people out there listening to this podcast as well have also had that exact same thought and gone through these similar experiences. And I guess that's the point of this podcast to kind of 
say it's completely fine we everyone's kind of going through it in their own way and we can find places where we do fit in and where it should be celebrated yes absolutely have you ever asked yourself whether you should continue with a career in science after being faced with something like that um I've asked myself but more so I I was one of those people I don't get mad I get motivated so in those situations yes I, I could get mad I could you know yell I could you know, be angry, but no, I'm going to take that whatever fuel you've just given me telling me I don't belong and use that as motive to show you. I can show you far better than I can ever tell you. Um, I I use that same idea and not only just what I'm doing for myself, but how I'm treating the next generation. I'm extremely passionate about preparing the next generation, building that confidence very early on so that as you get to high school, to college, they already have a strong foundation. So if somebody tries to come and blow their wind out of their sail, they're strong, right? And so, yeah, for me, yes, I can get mad, but no, I, I'd much rather get motivated um, and figure out ways to dispel whatever myth you think about me or, or stereotype you think about me. I love that so much. Um, as one of Grace's mentors, what is the one thing that you would tell her about getting into STEM? And then I guess more importantly, staying in STEM, because I mean, even from our conversation, um, but you know, we all know it can require a bit of persistence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one thing I would, I would just say, STEM requires you to just remain curious. Um, so remain curious in all aspects, ask questions. A lot of times people, don't feel comfortable to ask questions in class. And because of that, that may you know set the stage for them falling behind in a class. So one, just remain curious. Two, find your team, find your group of people, um, whether that's classmates, family members, loved ones, people that you can share your excitement about this discipline so that they can keep you motivated as you go along the way. And then three, you know, find mentors, role models, your educators. Um, believe it or not, I'm an educator as well. Believe it or not, we have the best interest at hand. So we're always going to try to find new opportunities for you, especially if you can start building that rapport. Going back to what my role model said, let me know who are you? What do you do? Where do you see yourself going? Because if I know that information as the educator, I can then try to connect you to new opportunities. So for anyone that's trying to get into STEM, I think remaining curious, finding your team or your group, and then also building, you know, your network of role models will be critical. Now, once you get there, we got to stay there. So it requires you to be, resi- you know, resilient. Um, there's going to be hard days. You, you may fail a test. You may not get the job or you may not get the promotion. But I'm a big believer of turning any L's, so any loss that you may have into a lesson. What could you learn from that situation so that the next time you're presented it, you can do better? Um, and then just, you know, keep in that forever learner posture because STEM is constantly evolving. And so for you to continue to stay at the forefront, you have to be willing to learn new things, embrace new technologies to get ahead. So once we get you there, now we got to keep you there. And I think that combination of things is what's going to really help uh, shift the dynamics of the STEM ecosystem. It's kind of staying there, keeping an open mind and any barriers that are put in your way, you're kind of just overcoming them and talking of which you mentioned that you'd you know um applied for different labs and they kind of said no you can't do this because you know your hair or something silly like that it's it's ridiculous but what other barriers have you faced throughout your stem journey um and how did you overcome them 
So, there, you know, this is a great question because I think there are some you know, actual barriers that I've taken that I've you know um, had to um, overcome. And then there's also some that just are just, you know, through life experiences, I didn't even realize were a barrier until I found out otherwise. So like, for instance, you know, pay equity is a huge thing. Um, and so you think that you've done well, you know, you've earned the degree, you've got the new job, and then down the line, you find out you're making 20%, 30% less than your colleague. And a lot of times what that's based on are, you know, did you negotiate early on? And that's something that maybe I wasn't privy to or didn't know too much about, didn't know I could do early on. And so when it comes to you know, barriers, we have to also think about what are those life experiences that people may not be exposed to that also play into their ability to get ahead. Um, so that's definitely a, a big barrier. I would say also, again, just the perception of what an HBCU education can, can yield you. I don't know how many times I've heard people question, you know, a, a, the quality of an HBCU uh, education or question if I would be prepared. Um, and so for me, those are probably the two biggest ones that stand out to me is just kind of, was I, was I prepared for the, the softer side of, of softer skills that I needed to get ahead? And, you know, when it comes to the, just the education I received, having people validate my education um, to be kind of a running theme um, throughout my career. And I guess that's where the importance of having mentors also just comes straight in with that kind of confidence boost and helping you navigate through that journey. Absolutely. It's really, really important. So my next question is, how have your intersecting identities impacted you throughout your STEM journey? That's a fantastic question. And I feel like, you know, they've impacted me in good ways and in not good ways, right? Um, have there been opportunities that have been open to me because I'm a black woman who's in science? Absolutely. Um, I, I bring a different perspective um, for certain research projects, for certain initiatives that people will automatically you know, go to me because again, go back to what I said, I always articulated who I was, what I could do, where I saw myself going. And so I became a um, reliable source of information that people would often come to when they wanted the black woman perspective. Now, with that said, you also then face the feeling of being tokenized, being, you know, having to represent or carry the weight of the entire population on your shoulders because you're now supposed to represent the Black women perspective. Um, so for me, yes, I think doors have certainly opened. I've gotten scholarships based off of, you know, uh, qualifying for some underrepresented category. Um, but then there's also this feeling of, am I being tokenized? Am I being used simply to check the box? To um, show that you're committed to diversity, even though you keep going back to the same person, that is definitely something that I've experienced, and I'm sure many others have, have felt the same. Mm. In those situations where you're being approached and you're thinking, "Is this just tokenistic or not?" How did you navigate that? How do you? How did you feel about that kind of situation? Well, so I do my research, one, like I, if, especially if it's like an organization that I have not been familiar with or not worked with before, um, I do my research and see what else have you been doing in this space that demonstrates a commitment beyond saying, hey, we want to put you on a poster. Um, and then just the words that you're, that you're using to articulate the why. Why is it that you want to have this campaign or this initiative? Why is it that this is important to you? You can, you know, if you start asking the right questions, you can tease out what is performative and what is, you know, truly 
impactful organizational shifting work. Um, and there's a lot of organizations that are on different spectrums. Um, and so in those moments when I've, I've you know, very clearly seen like, okay, this is just a check the box exercise. I also use it as, a, as an opportunity to educate and raise awareness to the organization about why their approach may not be received the best from other, you know, other communities. And then they're receptive to that, then perhaps we can proceed. But if not, then yeah, I, I normally don't want to necessarily affiliate myself with um, performative work. <laughs> no, rightly so. What kind of advice might you give someone um, moving on who wants to be their authentic self, but they're not sure how they're going to be received in STEM in general? Find your, find your group, find your team of people, find your community. There are so many organizations out there now. There's uh, AWIS, the American Women in Science, or Association for Women in Science. There's um, Black Women in Science and Engineering. There's STEM Noir, which is a, a women's conference that's about to take place this weekend. There's so many different opportunities out there that you can find your community. So while you may be one of, you know, one of only or one, you know, one and the only in an organization, there's a community out there. So it may take some legwork on your end to actually find people, get on social media, get on LinkedIn and connect with people. But if you can find a group of people that have the same passion and the same drive and the same commitment to STEM, it makes you showing up as your authentic self that much easier. So yeah, find, find, your, find your group and, and work on affirmation. I'm a of affirming yourself um, I have positive words all over my house. I have a little calendar over here that gives me a daily affirmation. I have words, you know, vision board up by my, my bedroom. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all those matter, you know, words matter. And so if you're constantly affirming yourself, you know, one of my favorite ones is I add value to every space that I enter. And so I say this to, you know, young women or, or young early career professionals, like, hey, before you go into any big meeting, say that to yourself so you feel power to contribute to whatever conversation that's happening. Um, but I think, you know, getting your mind right is the big key to actually showing up as your authentic self. I really, really love the idea of kind of having those quotes around as well, like seeing it, believing it, feeling it. And you kind of have that passion from within you to think it's almost like being your own little mentor, isn't it? Thinking past me has said this about me. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to show up. Exactly, exactly. I love that. Um, my next question is, what are some of the ways that you yourself have advocated for diversity, equality, and inclusion in STEM? So, you know, one of my kind of um, taglines, if you will, about myself is, you know, from empowering, excuse me, from inspiring youth to empowering leaders, my mission is to help others find their role in STEM. And that really, you know, defines the different things that I've done to move the needle with diversity, equity, inclusion here. Um, I actually run a program called Steam Ford Academy, which is designed to introduce youth to hands-on learning opportunities to learn about science, STEM, technology, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Um, and we really do target um, communities, uh, people from uh, underrepresented backgrounds so that they can learn science, get comfortable, and then go off into these higher grade levels. Then whenever you get to that kind of middle school, college age, I've also created a coaching program called Beyond the Beaker, which helps you learn some of those very skills that I said that I was lacking. So you learn about negotiating, you learn about the importance of communication, the importance of networking. And so actually creating this professional development uh, program that people can partake in, whether they're in middle school, high school, or all the way up into college and 
uh, early career professional is a way for me to give back to the communities. Um, I'm also heavily involved in uh, what are called employee resource groups um, or business resource groups um, within my organization. And so through that, I actually champion different professional development opportunities, bring in speakers, just to again, help raise awareness about issues that different demographics may be facing and solutions that we can put in place to actually drive um, moving the needle. Um, and then, yeah, I, I coach and work with senior leaders to help them to understand the importance of DEI. So um, some foundational things like what is diversity? What is inclusion? What is unconscious bias? And how does that dictate how I'm showing up as a leader? And so I feel by me touching the entire spectrum, I'm, I'm really trying to um, you know, make it better for somebody in some realm, whether it's at that young youth age, it's getting excited about science, all the way up to the senior leader age, where you're now dictating and making decisions that may impact someone's career. I was just going to say it's the whole spectrum that you could wish to kind of have those entrance points in. You're in them and you're the person that's there kind of advocating for the best routes within them. Absolutely, absolutely. It's fantastic. Um, and so sadly, we're actually coming to the end of the podcast, but to round things off, I'm actually going to invite you to play a bit of a game where I start the sentence and you have to finish it, if that's okay. Sounds good. So the first sentence I have for you is, I love science because. It allows me to be creative. Incredible. My second one is science is. Magic. And my last one is the future of science should be inclusive and then finally i have to ask if you had the opportunity to speak directly with someone like grace or someone like grace is listening to this podcast what kind of final inspirational quote would you give to them i mean i think i'm going to go back to what i just said a few moments ago um for any person that's questioning if they belong in stem or any person that's questioning if they belong in a room Repeat to yourself, I add value to every single space that I enter and my voice is meant to be heard. Um, I think that will hopefully get the confidence that you need to really show up as your best self in any situation. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Giannita, for taking the time to speak with me, joining the conversation that's really changing the future of science. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and it was wonderful speaking with you, Lucy. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode and a special thanks to Gianita and the Extraordinary Grace campaign. We hope you enjoyed listening and if you did, make sure to one, take a look at Grace's talk, which is linked in the description below, and two, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again very soon.